We are in a sermon series entitled Shine. It's an appropriate uh, subject for the season of Epiphany, which, by the way, we are in. The basic idea is that God shone, and throughout the Bible we're given different ways in which God shone his light to the world. And uh, the implication is that you and I, as God's people, can continue to shine as well. In doing so, you know that song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm going to let it shine. In doing so, we uh, point to our Father who is in heaven. This, sub this Sunday, the subject is justice. God shines in that he is just. His people shine in that they are just and established just societies, civil justice. They pursue justice. That is one of the ways that God's people shine. I've invited Albert Thompson to speak to us this morning. I think this is the third Sunday Albert has uh, preached to us, and it's always a delight uh, to hear Albert's reflection. Albert is a visiting professor of U.S. history at Howard University, where he is pursuing his Ph.D. Uh, he serves on the standing committee of this diocese, the Diocese of the, the Mid-Atlantic, and he serves on the executive committee of the Anglican Church in North America. So, Albert, thank you for joining us, and we look forward to your... You're sharing your thoughts with us this morning. Please. All right. Thank you, David. Uh, let us pray. Gracious Lord, thank you that we are gathered here together. Be with all those who are separated from us during this time of pestilence and give us your grace and peace. In Christ's name, amen. In thinking of justice, you can't help but remark on the interesting times we find ourselves in. In some ways, unique and unprecedented, in other ways, ordinary, as we find that throughout all ages of humanity, society has been driven by strife, or as we Christians would simply say, the sin problem. And yet God has given us a remarkable thing, grace and mercy. People are often confused about the gospel and the works of the gospel. They often think that the good works that we do are the gospel, but it's not. The gospel is actually that God sent his son to die for us and to save us and to deliver us. And then the things that we go and do throughout the world, goodness, justice, mercy, those are the fruits that come first from a right ordered experience. He saves us. And then we, in love to him, go out and do his will and do good things. But those good things alone are not the gospel and they do not save. It is God who saves us. And we respond to that mercy. I had a professor who is an Orthodox Christian, and he once told me that we should try to see Christ in everyone we meet and be Christ to everyone we meet that we should try to, if someone has never met a Christian before, be a reflection of God. And he says, sometimes that is easy things, sometimes that is hard things. In remarking about God's justice, I find it interesting that we often look at the Bible from the perspective of being the victim of the one who is wronged, and then God gives us justice. But as a historian, I've always had a question for myself that I, I'm waiting for one day I have a time to really research, is I think about St. Mark. And St. Mark goes and founds the church in Egypt. And I wonder about the early Christians of the church in Egypt who come to faith, they're reading the book of Exodus, and they're reading about the punishment of God on their ancestors. 
for their treatment of Israel. And we just read about today. It's a remarkable thing. And yet, the Egyptians become the bastion of the church in orthodoxy, whether it's Athanasius himself, or rather when Athanasius is sent into exile by various heretic bishops and emperors, he goes to the upper Nile and there's where he is actually protected. Or it's the foundation of the, the church and its meditation tradition through the desert fathers and, and mothers of Egypt. We see that the God who punished the Egyptians then later makes them his bulwark of faith, redeems them. They become people who are the leaders at the Nicene Council to ensure that orthodoxy is upheld. That's a remarkable story to me, the idea that that transformation over thousands of years from us viewing the Egyptians as kind of this oppressive people and Pharaoh as the epitome of tyranny to in the early church, the Egyptians being the defender of orthodoxy against Arianism and against various heresies such as Gnosticism. How does, how does God in his grace do such a thing? How does his mercy touch us in that way? What are the things that we are then called to do as believers in order to pursue God's mercy and justice? In the book of Exodus, God reveals himself two ways. He views himself as a deliverer of mercy to the Israelites, but also a doer of justice, the lawgiver. Israel is given a very important command that I think sometimes, I know I do, maybe you do sometimes overlook. Remember what happened to you in Egypt and go and do different. Doesn't matter what the world has done to you, do not be conformed to the world is how he would say it in the New Testament. But to the Israelites, God says to them, you've been oppressed in Egypt, you've now been delivered from Egypt, now I'm going to give you my right order, I'm gonna give you my laws, you are not going to do the things the Egyptians have done. You are to be different, completely different, my holy set apart people. And as part of that, you will have a just society and here's how you're going to do justice. We often think of justice, again, from the perspective of the victim, but we don't often think about justice from the perspective of the guilty. What does justice do for the guilty? Ezekiel, in the 38th chapter, reads, if I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn away from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn away from his way and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. It's a remarkable thing. Our requirement to go and warn, our requirement to do justice. Throughout that chapter, God is, is saying that Israel has fallen away from the standards of my justice and has allowed injustice to reign. And that one way of restoring Israel is going to be not just adhering to God's law, but going to the wicked and punishing them. Giving them a chance to change, but also punishing those who do not. Enforcing God's law. And that by that, they might actually come to repentance and be re reconciled to their God. That justice is done not just for those who have suffered injustice, but for those who have done the injustice. That they might then be reminded of God and his true nature and have a rightly ordered society that actually provokes them towards repentance. I thought about it this way recently, that one of the things that we would all like to do as believers is to see Christ face to face, speak to Christ, and have our prayers answered. And then I think, of the other condemned man on the cross. By being condemned, and he says justly, to being crucified, he actually comes face to face to Christ, speaks to Christ. 
One is taunting Jesus, the other condemned man, you know, why don't you deliver us and save us? The other one says, this man is suffering unjustly. We are here justly. He says to Christ, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. On the cross, while suffering punishment, he meets God, makes a request and has his request granted. That's fascinating to me. Have that person not actually experience justice, which he says, again, you know, I, I should be here, I should be condemned. He would not have been on the cross next to Jesus, might never have met Jesus, maybe, maybe have never heard the gospel, and would not be in paradise. For Christ tells him that you will be with me in paradise. Meaning, one day when we're in heaven, we'll actually meet the person on the cross next to Jesus because they were saved by God's grace because they met Jesus at the moment they were receiving judgment. God is wondrous and amazing when you think of the implications of that, when you think of the implications to the Egyptians. We should pursue justice, not just because we're trying to do good to the wrong, but we should pursue justice as an act of mercy to those who otherwise might not confront their sins. Christianity is a religion that has its discipline and the church imposes order and discipline when necessary for offenses. And it's not done for the purpose of vengeance, but for the purpose always of bringing people to repentance. That is always our mission. When we read in the book of Romans 13, we often read it simply from the position of imposing order. You know, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. For your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the sake of conscience. We sometimes have to do the hard thing as a society. None of us want to accept punishment. None of us want to deal with the implications of what justice actually looks like. And yet, in those moments where we do and dispense justice, God shows mercy to us. He shows mercy to those who've experienced injustice. And just maybe by doing the right thing, God and his Holy Spirit can reach out to those who need him and need to be brought to realization of the wrong they have done. And therefore, when the church is being Christ to the world, we are not to put on a face of permissiveness. We are to put on the face of grace but also a face of rightness, of doing the correct thing, the hard thing, even when it is difficult for us all. But God already did the hard thing. God sacrificed his son so that we would be saved. God suffered on the cross so that we would be delivered from our penalty of death, hell, and the grave. Now, for us as Christians, death is not something to fear. It is something that then takes us from this life to the next life, and we are to be with our Savior, our God, our King. That's already been done for us. 
What we've asked now to do is to live holy lives, not because we are holy, but because he has made us holy. Not because we are good, but because he has transformed and changed us. Everything begins with Christ, with God's mercy. And by God's mercy, we then can go out and have a right perception of justice and goodness and order. But we have to get this correct. We have to focus on him at all times. Not our own emotions, not our own feelings, not our own sense of grievance, not our own sense of, of rightness, not, not our own sense of what we would like to see happen, but in what he has put into us, we then put out into the world. And again, that sometimes is hard. And yet he has given us the strength to do the things that he has called us to do, which often are not the things that we would like to do. And I think that given our own nature, it's probably for the best that he has called us to do the things he wants us to do rather than always giving us the things that we want to do. What I'd like to end with is this. When Jesus Christ came, he came to redeem the world. He came to redeem the world from a disordered creation that had been put there by sin. How we have fallen away from God and his will, his love, that we did not have proper love for one another, we did not have proper love for ourselves, for God, for anyone. And he demonstrated that through his sacrifice, his love for us. He demonstrated his love for us by telling us the truth. He demonstrated his love for us by going and being our sacrifice, standing in our place, but also in warning us that judgment would come. The idea that he would do all of that and God required none of it. God requires nothing from us. He is sovereign, eternal, and yet God in his love showed us how to be better for one another and how to be the church. That the church is to be the spokespeople of God to try to see Christ in everyone and be Christ to everyone. And that means pursuing grace, mercy, but also the hard thing, justice. And let's do that for those who need justice so that they can be brought to repentance. And hopefully this time I'll remember to say amen as I end talking, as an elder of the church over there once warned me that if you give a word, it's not a speech, it's not a lecture, it's something that we're giving to God and to one another. And therefore, I hope that you and I can keep in mind the necessity of mercy, grace, and justice, and that we do it not just for one another, but for those who need it so that we can bring them to repentance and not condemnation. Amen.